Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by, and welcome to the Precision Drilling Corporation 2020 fourth quarter end-of-year results conference call and webcast. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star then 1 on your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require additional assistance, please press star then 0 to reach an operator. I would now like to hand the call over to Dustin Honing, Manager, Investor Relations and Corporate Development. Please go ahead. Thank you, Michelle, and good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Precision Drilling's fourth quarter and year-end 2020 earnings conference call and webcast. Participating today on the call with me are Kevin Nevue, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Carrie Ford, Senior Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. Through a news release earlier today, Precision reported its fourth quarter and year-end 2020 results. Please note that these financial figures are in Canadian dollars unless otherwise indicated. Some of our comments today will refer to non-IFRS financial measures such as EBITDA and operating earnings. Please see our news release for additional disclosure on these financial measures. Our comments today will include forward-looking statements regarding Precision's future results and prospects. We caution you that these forward-looking statements are subject to a number of risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from our expectations. Please see our news release and other regulatory filings for more information on forward-looking statements and these risk factors. Carrie will begin today's call by discussing our fourth quarter and year-end financial results. Kevin will then follow by providing an operational update and outlook. With that, I'll turn it over to you, Carrie. Thank you, Dustin. Precision exceeded the financial targets set out at the beginning of 2020, leveraging our scale to generate $263 million in adjusted EBITDA, growing our cash balance by $34 million, and reducing debt by $171 million, despite experiencing year-over-year North American activity declines of over 44%. Precision's ability to achieve these results was a function of strict cost control and cash management, as well as excellent field performance. Our cost reduction initiatives activated in the second quarter were necessary given the anticipated steep activity drop in 2020. We successfully reduced fixed costs by over 35% and SG&A by over $30 million, which positioned the company to generate strong financial results through the fourth quarter of this year and established a cost structure we believe is sustainable in an increasing activity environment. Cost control, cash management, and debt reduction will continue to be focus areas for the company in 2021. Moving on to our fourth quarter results. Our fourth quarter adjusted EBITDA was $55 million, a decrease of 47% from the fourth quarter in 2019. The decrease in adjusted EBITDA primarily results from a sharp decrease in drilling activity in North America and a slight activity decrease in our international operations. Also included in adjusted EBITDA during the quarter is $10 million of Q's assistance payments and $11 million of share-based compensation expense. 
Absent these items, EBITDA would have been $56 million for the quarter. As a reminder, the Q's program supports employment in Canada, and Precision has utilized this program to, pre to pre preserve jobs within our organization. We applaud the Canadian government for this program and its impact on supporting employment during the pandemic. Although the program is extended well into 2021, it is, it is likely participation levels will decrease for precision in 2021, with the expected financial impact to be approximately half that in 2020. In the U.S., drilling activity for precision averaged 26 rigs in Q4, an increase of five rigs from Q3. Daily operating margins in the quarter were 11,158 U.S. dollars, a decrease of 1,139 U.S. dollars from Q3. The decrease in margins is due to lower IBC revenue earned in Q4, slightly offset by higher turnkey margins earned in Q4. Absent impacts from IBC and turnkey, daily operating margins would have been 716 U.S. dollars higher than Q3, which reflects the impact of exceptional operational cost control during the quarter. For Q1, we expect normalized margins absent IBC and turnkey to be down slightly from Q4 levels. We expect to average one rig on IBC during the first quarter. In Canada, drilling activity for precision averaged 28 rigs, a decrease of 15 rigs from Q4 2019. Daily operating margins in the quarter were $9,379, an increase of $1,988 from Q4 2019. Margins were supported by a strict focus on operating cost, Q's assistance, and shortfall payments. Absent the Q's and shortfall impact, margins would have been $6,895, or $496, lower than Q4 last year. With cost control efforts nearly offsetting the overhead burden from lower activity. For Q1, we expect margins, margins absent of Q's, to be relatively in line with last year. Internationally, drilling activity for precision in the current quarter averaged six rigs. International average day rates were $55,453 U.S. dollars, up approximately $3,170 U.S. dollars from the prior year, benefiting from active rig mix. In our CMP segment, adjusted EBITDA this quarter was $5.3 million, down 15.4% compared to the prior year quarter. Adjusted EBITDA was negatively impacted by a 32% decline in well service hours, reflecting lower industry activity in the quarter. We expect results will improve in Q1 due to increased industry activity and additional work supported by the Canadian government's $1.7 billion well site abandonment and rehabilitation program. Capital expenditures for the quarter were $23 million and $62 million for the year. Our capital expenditures were higher than forecast due to higher than expected activity in the fourth quarter, anticipated higher activity to start 2021, four contracted upgrades completed in the fourth quarter, and discounted year-end purchasing of upgrade components ahead of increasing activity in 2021. Regarding the upgraded rigs completed in the fourth quarter, two related to U.S. operations and two were for the Canadian market. All four of the upgrades were heavily supported by precision teams at our NISQ Tech Center and Rostell operations. Our 2021 capital plan is $54 million and is comprised of $38 million for sustaining an infrastructure and $16 million for upgrade and expansion, which relates to anticipated investments supporting Alpha Technologies, 
and contracted customer upgrades. As of February 10th, we had an average of 33 contracts in hand for the first quarter and an average of 28 contracts for the full year 2021. Moving to the balance sheet, we continue to reduce both absolute and net debt levels, primarily through free cash flow generation. As of December 31st, our long-term debt position net of cash was approximately $1.14 billion, and our total liquidity position was over $700 million when excluding letters of credit. Our net debt to trailing 12-month EBITDA ratio is approximately 4.3 times, and the average cost of debt for precision is 6.5%. We remain in compliance with all our credit facility covenants in the fourth quarter with an EBITDA to interest coverage ratio of 2.7 times. During the quarter, we utilized $6 million to repurchase shares. Our capital, our capital allocation program remains substantially weighted to debt reduction. For 2021, we expect to continue generating free cash flow through operations and do not expect incremental benefit from working capital release as activity is increasing in both the U.S. and Canada. Concurrent with the activity increase in the fourth quarter, we reported a $24 million increase in working capital from the end of Q3. Liquidity remains a top priority, and we will continue to look for opportunities to reduce leverage and have set our debt reduction targets for 2021 to $100 million to $125 million. We remain, we remain on track to meet our recently increased longer-term debt reduction goal of $800 million between 2018 and 2022. For 2021, we expect depreciation to be approximately $290 million. We expect SG&A to be $55 million before share-based compensation expense. We expect cash interest expense to be approximately $85 million for the year. And we expect cash taxes to remain low and our effective tax rate to be in the 5 to 10% range. That concludes my remarks, and I will now turn the call over to Kevin. Good afternoon, and uh, thank you, Kerry. All right, uh, 2020 was a deeply challenging year, but it was one where Precision demonstrated the resilience and agility of our business model and the resourcefulness of our highly skilled people. Now, you may recall that on our conference call last February, we foreshadowed the potential risks from the emerging pandemic. And within a few weeks, the Precision team pivoted to a full risk mitigation mode, immediately executing our pandemic safety response plan and then addressing spending. Despite the resulting downturn, we successfully achieved uh, or exceeded all of our pre-pandemic strategic priorities. We improved our capital structure, exceeded our debt reduction targets, we restructured our fixed cost and expense base, and we firmly positioned the company for the industry recovery, which is now underway, all while managing the health and operational risks caused by the COVID-19 virus. I think Precision's fourth quarter financial and operational results bear the fruits of that hard work. During the fourth quarter, we increased our U.S. activity 60% over third quarter bottom, and our U.S. activity currently sits at 33 rigs. Canadian activity today sits at 54 rigs, up from Q2 lows of just eight rigs and doubling our Q4 average of 28 rigs. The drastic steps our team implemented during the second quarter of 2020 to reduce costs and expenses are sustainable and will ensure strong cash flow torque as the business continues to recover. Our resilient margins during the fourth quarter are a good indication of Precision's earning torque capability. As we reported in our press release, 
we continue to make strong progress on our alpha digital strategy. Market penetration of alpha automation almost doubled in 2020 to 41% of wells drilled, up from 23% the prior year. Customer utilization time now exceeds 95% for alpha automation, and the system uptime while in use is the 99.6 to 100% range, exceeding even our highest mechanical uptime expectations for this product. Precision's Alpha App Store now has 18 active apps, and we recorded 2,300 app days in 2020. During the fourth quarter, we initiated field hardening trials for our sliding app, successfully executing some 30 slides. Sliding is a very important app, as it will significantly reduce rig manning by eliminating the directional driller. And we expect this app will become commercial by mid-year. Alpha Analytics was also introduced to customers in early 2020 in trial mode. We transitioned to a commercial model mid-year, and in the second half we built 800 revenue days with Alpha Analytics. So there's no doubt that we'll increase market penetration for all Alpha digital services, and we believe these digital capabilities significantly strengthen our competitive positioning. So looking forward, we see an improving macro environment with strengthening industry fundamentals, and we can also report that customer sentiment, <laughs> sentiment has also substantially improved. Hydrocarbon extraction is a capital-intensive industry, and constructive access to the capital markets is essential. The recent successful debt and equity offerings by our customer base are indicative of the capital markets beginning to recognize the capital discipline the industry is demonstrating. We believe this is a very important leading indicator of the industry's recovery. We also expect global oil demand will continue its recovery as the COVID-19 vaccines are distributed and the pandemic restrictions begin to ease later this year. In the U.S., the improved natural gas prices are driving increased EMP gas-directed interest. Precision's rig mix has shifted to 50% gas, 50% oil, as several of our recent rig activations have been for gas-directed drilling. I am pleased with our market position in U.S. gas basins with a strong presence in both the Marcellus and Haynesville gas plays. I also note that these customers have been technology-first movers, adopting alpha technologies and experiencing efficiencies we promise. Oil-directed Permian activity has also rebounded from 2020 lows. However, the regional excess supply of idle high-spec rigs has led to some creative pricing strategies. At Precision, we remain highly disciplined and will continue to look for the best return opportunities to reactivate our idle rigs. We believe our alpha technologies are an important catalyst for our marketing strategy of the Permian. Now, Kerry mentioned uh, several rigs we upgraded during the fourth quarter. I'll elaborate on the two U.S. upgrades. Uh, the two U.S. rigs are Precision ST1200 pad-walking super-triple rigs. The DJ Basin operator wanted to reduce their environmental footprint and reduce the time on location with the drilling operations to minimize the community impact. We proposed a solution to reduce the rig footprint and squeeze two rigs on one pad to drill simultaneously. Now, this was a major rig configuration upgrade. We vertically stacked the rig utility modules to reduce the rig footprint by about 20%. Both upgraded rigs were spotted on location earlier this month, and are, we are delivering on all the customers' expectations. This is a big win for our customer and a very good outcome for Precision. But we think this is an excellent example of how Precision can be an integral part of our customers' ESG strategy, and I'll have more on this when I discuss our 2021 priorities. Currently, we have line of sight for additional U.S. rig activations later this quarter and into the second quarter, and we expect our activity to increase by 15 to 20 percent by mid-year. Of course, presuming we don't expect another external macro disruption. 
Now, there's been much talk of performance-based contracts displacing the day rate model. And while some of our contracts are performance-based, we remain very cautious on this contracting arrangement. We continue to have very good success pricing our alpha digital technology offerings as a la carte additions to the base day rate. While the rigged day rate may be exposed to market competition, the alpha services are not. We are seeing new customers and market share gains due to the efficiency and data analytics that Alpha enables. We'll continue to pursue both contracting alternatives, but in any event, we believe that demonstrated drilling efficiency, wellbore placement accuracy, and rig safety will win the day with our customers. In Canada, the market has largely stabilized and is beginning to improve. Q2 customer demand looks to be almost double what we experienced in 2020. And while visibility in the second half of the year remains less clear, we expect that firm natural gas pricing and stronger WCS prices will drive activity meaningfully higher on a year-over-year basis. Our market position in the Montany with our super triple rigs and alpha automation remains strong. We expect firm Montany activity through spring into the second half of the year. Heavy oil is also rebounding from recent lows, reflected in our improved heavy oil activity this winter drilling season. With firm WCS pricing, we expect this trend will continue through the year. We are well positioned with our super single rigs as the rig of choice for heavy oil drilling. While price competition remains intense in the shallower conventional oil plays, such as the Cardium, Viking, and Southeast Saskatchewan, firming customer demand should help stabilize those prices later in the year. In our international segment, we continue to manage the complicated logistics caused by the pandemic travel restrictions and quarantine requirements for our rotating crews, yet our financial performance remains strong and consistent. We are getting some indications that rig renewals and activations we're waiting for in Kuwait may start to get some attention, but as yet, we have no clear indication of timing. Currently, we have three rigs running another contract for the full year in Kuwait. In Saudi Arabia, Aramco is now beginning to reactivate some of the rigs they put on standby last year. We think they'll work through those IBC rigs before any new rig activations are possible. This is certainly a positive trend, but again, the timing on additional opportunities is uncertain at this point. Currently, we have three rigs operating in Saudi Arabia under contract for the full year. Our Canadian well service segment is experiencing an increase in demand driven in part by the Canadian Well Abandonment Program but also a broad-based increase in customer demand. We believe there's been a multi-year lag in well service work, and now with improved commodity prices, this is an area that's getting operator attention. Again, barring a macro dislocation, our 2021 well service activity for precision will be substantially improved over 2020. We believe this business has good earnings or good cash flow torque following the restructuring efforts we've undertaken over the past couple of years. Now, turning to our 2021 priorities, I think our continued management focus on free cash flow debt reduction and the market penetration for alpha technology will be no surprise to those who follow Precision. However, our newest priority to strengthen our customer and stakeholder positioning through ESG performance is a critical priority as the world recovers from the pandemic and we all look into the future. As you may have read in our 2020 sustainability report, Precision has a mature and well-developed ESG culture, supported by internal processes, controls, and systems. However, we believe we can help our customers, our investors, and other stakeholders better recognize the performance we deliver and how we'll continue to evolve our ESG strategy going forward. My example earlier regarding the reduced footprint compact rig to supplement our customers' environmental strategy is one way we can help our customers as they strive to lower their emissions, 
reduce their environmental footprint, and improve their ESG scores. Precision's high-performance service offerings, which deliver better drilling efficiency, also deliver reduced GSG emissions, such as our alpha digital technologies, our pad walking systems, our natural gas fuel systems, and our hybrid, hybrid battery power systems. In 2021, we will put these GSG initiatives and others still in the planning stage to the forefront of our strategy. We'll also quantify our full range of ESG initiatives and performance for all of our stakeholders. So I'll conclude my comments by thanking all the employees of Precision for their very hard work and contributing to Precision's strong results in a deeply challenging environment. I certainly appreciated the added workload and the pandemic stress every employee feels. I especially want to commend our rig crews who have managed the pandemic risk excellently and delivered our all-time best field safety performance. So thank you very much, and I'll now turn the call back to the operator for questions. As a reminder, to ask a question, please press star then one. If your question has been answered and you'd like to remove yourself from the queue, press the pound key. Our first question comes from Taylor Zercher with Tudor Pickering Hall. Your line is open. Hey, good afternoon, and, and thank you. Kevin, you, you talked about uh, 15 to 20% improvement in the U.S. rig count by hopefully sometime around mid-year. So uh, off the top of my head, it looks like five to, to seven additional rigs. Can you talk about what, what sort of operator groups, whether it be private or public, if there's any, any trend behind the operators uh, for, for those potential uh, incremental rigs and, and industry-wide? You know, as, we, as we look at the, the next leg of growth from here, do, do you expect it to be driven uh, mostly from the private side of the equation or, or, or fairly balanced between private and public? Uh, Taylor, uh, great question. Uh, certainly what we've seen so far has been weighted towards private, the private equity uh, NP companies adding rigs uh, with a blend of some publics. But I think looking forward uh, into how things sort of play out over 2021, I'm really encouraged by uh, the strong discipline our public customers are showing around capital discipline. I'm encouraged that the markets seem to be recognizing that. I do think that the commodity price range we're in right now, both for gas and oil, is higher than anyone anticipated either in their budgeting process or even in their uh, bank redeterminations. So I think the outlook's improving. And I do think looking forward, the mix of new rigs will be more of a blend of publics and privates, less weighted to the privates. Understood. Okay, and then my follow-up's also in the U.S. As of the, the last quarterly earnings release, you had about – uh, seven term contracts for for 2021. Now you've got uh, 16. So it's a nice improvement there. I, I suspect on a leading edge basis, the, the, the spot market pricing is much lower than, than certainly what it was a year ago. And so just just curious if you could uh, help us understand how you're thinking about um, your your contract book and, and pricing in this sort of environment and the willingness to to add some you know longer term contracts at you know whatever lower pricing you're able to get today. Uh, hey, Taylor. Uh, so first of all, a component of our contract contracts that we've announced are renewals of rigs that are already running and in play. So those are customers that have the rigs are on location. There's no mob or demob cost. So in fact, uh, those rates tend to be, you know, closer to prior year's rates. Okay. Uh, new activations will certainly be a little bit more affected by, uh, by spot market rates and a bit lower. I'd say that, uh, you know, we think rates have bottomed. Uh, we think that uh, there is uh, sort of a concerted effort to start to move rates upwards, uh, and uh, we expect that will play itself out nicely in Q1 and Q2. Okay. I'll squeeze one more in. I, I found the, the comments about the four upgraded rigs pretty interesting, particularly 
uh, the two in the U.S., re- reducing the environmental footprint a bit. Can you talk to to um, whether or not you're you're able to to get paid for for those upgrades? I mean, are you getting term and and some some sort of decent pricing for those rigs above and beyond what what you can get in the uh, on a leading edge basis in the market to to go ahead and do those upgrades? Uh, absolutely. Uh, we are being paid for the upgrades. Uh, the return on the investment is is very very good and uh, fits our long-term uh, return expectations. Great. That's it for me. Thanks, guys. Yeah, in fact, uh, Taylor, I'll just elaborate. We didn't expect those upgrades. It was a, uh, I wouldn't say a surprise, but uh, we were surprised that our customers were willing to pay for upgrades. Uh, but I think it helps you understand the market's evolving. Our next question comes from Connor Lenag with Morgan Stanley. Your line is open. Yeah, thanks. Um, just wanted to build on the conversations around contracting and pricing dynamics. I appreciate you don't want to go too into detail on rates for competitive reasons. But I guess what I'm wondering is, um, you know, are you guys seeking to push rate more so or term more so in your in your negotiations? Um, to what extent are customers willing to sign long-term contracts or willing to give uh, uh, incremental rate versus quote-unquote spot that, that was sort of, you know, obviously – uh, pretty pretty hampered by weak demand. So um, just your thoughts around that would be great. Yeah, uh, Connor, again, I think these are really key questions and uh, ones everybody would like to get some really good clarity on. Uh, there's always a balance. You know, certainly when the market's beginning to recover early in the recovery, uh, customers that have long-term plans will look to try to lock in the best rigs at the lowest rates they can for the longest period they can. So, you know, we've had customers asking for contracts in the range of anywhere from six months to 18 months trying to walk in the lowest rate. Uh, certainly, uh, we don't want to have uh, a large volume of super spec rigs uh, locked up for the next 18 months at uh, leading edge rates, so we'll balance that out. You know, we might take a, a couple, but we'd look to uh, leave optionality so as rates start to improve, we can continue to uh, capture those rates as they rise. Got I can it. tell you, our marketing and, team has a very yeah. sophisticated spreadsheet they use to manage this. Uh, which you uh, can't have a copy of. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Maybe, maybe if I ask nicely. Um, but the the uh, I guess the other dynamic is cost. So cost was something that um, you know obviously as you're reactivating rigs and getting things back into the field, um, I, I imagine that weighs on margins somewhat. I guess the offset is idle but contracted rigs. So can you help us think through the next couple quarters here? how we should think about the, and I'm particularly thinking in the U.S., obviously Canada's a bit more complex with breakup, but um, how, how should we think about your cost per day or your um, that, that impact on margin? Um, Connor, you know, uh, broadly I think the rigs that we've stacked so far have been stacked in pretty good shape, and we have uh, de minimis reactivation costs, certainly nothing we're guiding towards. But uh, I'll just let Kerry kind of reiterate his views on uh, on our cost guidance. Yeah, hey, hey, Connor. Uh, so I'll point out my, my comments in, in the uh, introduction that our efforts to reduce operating costs have largely offset the uh, increased overhead burden by lower activity levels. So that's, uh, that's been a really good development from a cost standpoint. Uh, as we add the next handful of rigs, uh, we, we don't expect to have a whole lot of reactivation cost. You know, we had, it wasn't too long ago we had 80 rigs running in the U.S. I say not too long ago, you know, about a year and a half ago. So a lot of those rigs are in, in really good condition to, to go back to work, so it, it's not going to be uh, an overly burdensome reactivation cost. But as we get deeper into the pool, 
you, you may see uh, a bit more cost to, to reactivate the rig. Okay, so just just to square it here, the the trend in cost per day would probably be flattish from here. Or do you think uh, some uh, you know fixed cost absorption helps? How should we think about that for the duration of the year? I, I think for, for the for the next couple of quarters with um, the activity forecast that that Kevin provided, uh, we should have relatively flat cost per day absent uh, variations in, in turnkey. If we're talking about the U.S. market, right. All right. Thank you. Our next question comes from Keith Mackey with RBC. Your line is open. Hi, thanks for taking my question. Uh, just a question on the, the CapEx number, the $54 million. Uh, should we assume that that is a gross number, or is that going to be net of some kind of dispositions as well? That is a gr gross number, Keith. Got it. Okay. Uh, and just on, on, on the recontracting, and in particular any rigs you've had to add back to the field, just maybe if you can comment on, on staffing those rigs, have you been able to uh, re recontract the same crews, or, or is, there, is there new people uh, that you're going to be dealing with in, in the mix? Um, uh, Keith, good question. You know, typically we're always trying to bring in some new people. Uh, we've been quite successful restaffing in Canada and the U.S., pulling back uh, you know, prior precision hands that were let go during the downturn, but we, but we still like to seed in. Some, uh, some new green hands, so we continue to keep to build our base of uh, staff. So we've been doing some of that, but we've had no trouble staffing up rigs in Canada or the U.S. Uh, in this uh, early stage of the rebound. Now, let me just turn to well servicing for a moment, which is a little different story. In well servicing, uh, we find we're competing uh, with some of the uh, you know, unemployment subsidy programs that are underway in Canada right now as part of the pandemic relief. And, and the challenge in well servicing is that the workers call out work. It might be three or four or five days work, and, and then they're home for two days, and then back at work for three or four days. Whereas in drilling, we can guarantee months and months of work. You know, typically six months or a year's worth of work. So we don't have that uh, that frictional problem. But in well servicing, labor has gotten very tight, and I think the well servicing uh, sector, I know ourselves included, are kind of reaching limits of what we can do for recruiting. So we're really having, to, having to become very creative on recruiting and. Uh, and uh, looking at uh, referral programs and things like that to start getting uh, the base of employees up in well servicing. Got it. Okay. And that's Thanks largely for a that. Canadian, you, uh, you know, primarily a Canadian problem for us. Got it. Got it. Okay. Thanks. Thanks for the color. I'll turn it back. Again, to ask a question, please press star then one. Our next question comes from Cole Pereira. Of Stiefel, your line is open. Afternoon, everyone. Um, as we think about the U.S. opportunity set, should we be thinking of it as continuing to be split between oil and gas basins, or how do you expect that evolves? Uh, you know, it uh, a little. It depends on what we get next. I'm not sure what you know what the next award will be. We have a pretty good line of sight to several, but but Cole, my expectation is to see a little more weighting towards oil going forward. Okay. Uh, that's helpful, thanks. And so over the past few quarters, you guys have kind of been able to divest some non-core assets for call it proceeds of a couple million, et cetera. Is there any line of sight that uh, that should continue into 2021 to help uh, offset some of that CapEx program? 
Hi, Cole. So we, we typically will sell uh, drill pipe when it, we use it beyond uh, the standards that uh, beyond the time standards that we've established, and we're able to sell that into a secondary market. That's typically anywhere between five and fifteen million dollars a year, uh, and then we'll look to sell other uh, kind of older assets that don't have much of a use within the precision organization anymore. So I think absent um, you know larger idle rig sales or non-core divisions, think about. Uh, think about divestures in the kind of 10 to $20 million range. Okay, got it. That's uh, helpful. So talking about uh, some of the ESG strategy, uh, your ESG report had some pretty good disclosures on your biofuel and gas-powered rig fleets. Can you just comment on the level of utilization you're seeing for this equipment specifically, and if you've seen a notable change in the volume of EMPs requesting this equipment? Uh, Cole, I, th yeah, I think uh, right now the rigs we have that are not being utilized that either have biofuel or nat natural gas engines are probably just in the wrong physical location. So we, you know, we may have demand for biofuel in uh, Montagny, but the rig might be sitting in North Dakota, say. But, uh, but, but I would tell you almost every E&P conversation now includes a short discussion on the p potential to lower GHG emissions. Okay, got it. And so as we think about those conversations, is it, has it gone to the point, um, I guess, very commonly where ENPs are, are willing to actually pay for, call it, biofuel or other opportunities, or is it kind of just here and there at this point? Uh, no, I would say that uh, our ENPs have been paying for biofuel uh, and paying for upgrades to biofuel. Uh, we'll continue that discipline. Um, I don't see a capital upgrade to a rig uh, being a uh, a non uh, a non revenue opportunity for us. Okay, got it. Uh, that's helpful. I'll turn it back. Thanks. Great. Thanks, Cole. Our next question comes from Aaron McNeil with TD Securities. Your line is open. Hey, everyone. Uh, in the context of the three strategic priorities on technology debt reduction and ESG. Are there any specific targets that you're looking to hit this year, and how should we benchmark you against those priorities as the year progresses? I, I think the, uh, the one clear target that Kerry outlined in his comments was the debt reduction target of a range of 125 million for 2021. You can benchmark us against that all year. Uh, as the year evolves, uh, we'll disclose uh, the steps we're taking in each of the other priorities and, uh, and continue to update on those. So obviously on technology, market penetration, that's clearly what we're looking for. There will be disclosing on market penetration. And ESG initiatives that uh, we believe either are important to our investors or important to our customers, we'll, dis we'll disclose successes on those. Got it. And could you maybe give us a sense, you know, aside from buy fuel and some of the other um, – Examples you've given on, on what kind of initiatives on the ESG front you might be looking at to help your customers? Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't mention in my narrative uh, Highline Power on the rigs, and we've got uh, right now several projects that are being Highline Powered, and our customers are looking at uh, also then securing their power contracts on uh, renewable power contracts. So it's a, that would be, a, for a customer, a possibility to have almost a zero emissions rig. 
Okay, makes sense. And then switching gears, um, you obviously mentioned the U.S. activity should increase 15 to 20% by mid-year in the U.S. Um, do you think that in order to facilitate that, we're going to have to start to see announcements from EMPs increasing their capital budgets in the first half of the year? Well, uh, I, I don't think so, because I think if you think about it in our case, that would be you know a handful of rigs, five or six rigs. I don't think that necessarily warrants a capital announcement for an increase. And uh, Aaron, I don't expect I don't expect any uh, EMP to lead with their chin on increasing capital spending. Uh, <laughs> kind of what I was getting at. Yeah, I, I think I think what will happen though is I think that uh, you know receipts at fifty-eight dollars are a lot better than receipts were going to be at forty-eight dollars. And as they demonstrate strong free cash flow, as they demonstrate uh, sustained or improved dividends or share buybacks or debt reduction, I think they'll start to earmark additional capital uh, to replace their inventory of, of uh, wells as they start to work through their, their ducks, which is happening right now. Okay, great. That's all for me. I, I expect it to be, no question, I expect it to be an all-of-the-above answer for our customers. They're not going to sacrifice investor returns to add rigs, but if they can continue to show strong investor returns and add rigs to the margin, they'll do both. Perfect. Thanks. That's helpful. I'll, uh, I'll leave it there. Thank you. Our next question comes from Blake Gedron with Wolf Research. Your line is open. Yeah, thanks. Uh, good afternoon. Um, so your peer this morning talked uh, through some of the math in the U.S. in terms of super speculation and maybe some of the mechanisms to start getting pricing. And part of that was uh, the stacking of older rigs and uh, potentially the retirement of those older rigs, theoretically tier two, maybe SDR rigs. Um, I'm just wondering what the mechanism for that would be. I mean, would, would contractors basically just sell them for scrap? Uh, and the reason why I ask is, you know, I'm just, just wondering the extent to which you think pricing can maybe materialize middle of this year to back half of this year, considering that rigs, you know, never really go, have, have gone away in the past. And, you know, the spread between Tier 1 and Tier 2 hasn't really expanded all too much uh, outside of, of maybe, you know, rapidly increasing activity levels. Just just wondering how you think about scrapping versus uh, super speculation and maybe the, uh, the the outlook for pricing. Thanks. Yeah, so I, I didn't hear the comments. I don't know exactly what might have been said, but, uh, you know, we really haven't seen, uh, you know, DCSER rigs uh, dragging on uh, the price that we've been able to achieve in the marketplace with our super spec, you know, horizontal drilling pad walking rigs. Um, so I'm not too worried about watching rigs being retired. I'm really looking closely, though, at uh, contractor by contractor utilization of their super spec pad walking rigs. Um, I think the market is is really tight. I mean, we've added back 100 rigs off bottom. Uh, I think utilization of the super spec rigs is getting uh, getting into the territory of pricing power. Uh, there are some regional dislocations right now. So, for example, uh, we're doing quite well with our rigs in the DJ Basin because we've got the right size rigs in the right place, and uh, it wouldn't make sense to move a rig from the Permian to the DJ Basin. So that, that mobility friction is helping us out there. Uh, I think you'll see that once – I'm not sure if it's, if it's a handful of more rigs or maybe 20 more rigs in the Permian get used up. I think that uh, we're going to be in a much tighter market in the Permian. That's helpful. Um, in addition, you know, performance-based contracts, you've been, if I remember correctly, pretty staunchly 
opposed to some of that commerciality. And, and the peer this morning, I don't know if you've caught the comments, uh, you know, noted some traction on the performance-based contract side. Um, just wondering if you've come up against it in any uh, tendering activity and, you know, quite frankly, how do you think it plays out, either receptivity of the customer base or, or otherwise? How do you see this, this commerciality evolving? Uh, so uh, we do have performance contracts in Precision right now. We have them in, in more than one base and more than one customer in the U.S. We're watching this closely. Uh, you know, we're continuing to bid other performance-based contracts. Uh, I don't think uh, – I'm, I'm, I'm still remaining a little skeptical on this. I, don't, I just don't know uh, where it ends up. What I have seen in the past is that once uh, once you achieve a new performance, uh, you know, shelf or barrier for a sustained period of time, it ends up being a bit of a reset. And but you can also say the same thing about day rates get reset when supply gets extreme. So it's a little hard to say how it's going to play out. Uh, we're keeping our avenues open here, and uh, we're certainly not going to miss out on a performance-based contract uh, uh, trend if that continues. Uh, I remain a little skeptical on this. Uh, I can tell you that we are. Uh, sustaining our pricing and our technology initiatives with uh, really no competition and no, certainly no competitive pressures downwards on our technology initiatives. So we, we're quite happy with the a la carte model, day rate for the base rig, a la carte for the add-ons, uh, working quite well for us. Um, that's that, that's know, definitely I, encouraging. Yeah, I think, Blake, I think it could go either way here, uh, and I think we'll be ready to go either direction. Certainly we have gotcha. the tools in our in our – uh, analytics in our uh, alpha technology to deliver strong performance. And as I said in our, my prepared comments, ultimately those rigs that deliver the, the best efficiency drilling, the best wellbore placement, the best safety will get the best rates, whatever the pricing model is. Understood. That, that's encouraging. When you do uh, bid for a performance-based contract, do the other contractors see the KPIs that you're submitting, and is there any back and forth in that regard? Um, there's a lot of game theory by the operators uh, with KPIs and rates and all aspects. Every negotiable term, uh, you, can just, you can rest assured the procurement teams apply game theory on. Got it. Thanks for the time. <laughs> there are no further questions. I'd like to turn the call back over to Dustin Honey for any closing remarks. Great. Thank you, everyone, for joining today's call and look forward to speaking to you when we report 2021 first quarter results in April. Operator, you may disconnect. Ladies and gentlemen, this does include the conference. You may now disconnect. Everyone, have a great day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.